Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this iteration of Faster Than a Stand-Up. I'm Brent Lamont. Joining me today as part of our 100th episode, yes, that's correct, 100 episodes, I have a special guest. I have Kathleen Marzal, who is the ISBN Senior Vice President of Enablement Operations within SAP. Hi, Kathleen. How are you? Hi, Brent. Doing great. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you for thank me. And thank you for being here. So we're going to say right off the top that this is a special iteration and this is going to be longer than stand-up, so just buckle up. We're going to extend a little bit on our journey series that we had. And if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to the uh, like the last 12 of the last 15 episodes where we talked through people's journey through agility. With Kathleen, we're gonna have a little bit of a different spin on it. And so we're gonna start with, Kathleen, give me a little bit of your journey in software. Sure. Uh, well, I, um, I actually started uh, the thought or the transition with college when I decided to go ahead and get my computer science degree. But that actually was a journey of itself because my original passion was to be a dancer. Awesome. <laughs> so it took, me, it took me a little, it took me a few years to uh, make a switch. And uh, nine years after high school, I actually graduated from Cal, Cal Poly. Los Obispo with my degree in computer science. And uh, my first job out of college was actually working at McDonnell Douglas, which was now part of Boeing, uh, on mainframe development and automating the flight safety department. Okay. And uh, I, I did that first as an internship, and that turned into a full-time role. Uh, and, um, but the problem was that was in Southern California and I was still living on the central coast at that time, doing a commute on the weekends to go home. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, and a few jobs in between, but my, I would say my real journey and career started, um, I did have another, uh, job in, on the central coast working for an engineering firm where we had a contract with the Air Force and I was building software to simulate missile launches on the Western Missile Range um, okay. out at Vandenberg Air Force Base. And that was actually a really hardcore, it was interesting because we were building hardware and software mm -hmm. at the same time for that program. Right, so do you think it was, do you think the challenges are real as, as being, because here I am, you know, uh, Caucasian male, right? So it's like, I, I have no, well, I don't have no understanding. I have some understanding, but it's the, give me a little bit of insight as to what it was for you when you were first starting out, getting into the industry and some of the barriers that you faced or what were some of the biggest challenges that you ran into? Yeah, well, definitely through school, I was often the only female in class. Yep. Uh, so that was definitely there. And I don't know, you know, I'm the youngest of six kids with all boys next to me. So I was kind of a tomboy. So being in the, an environment, of most, mostly male environment, wasn't one that I was necessarily uncomfortable with. Sure, um, sure. So I think that for me was a first positive in helping me be in that environment overall. And then I would say, um, definitely in an environment like, my, like uh, McDonnell Douglas, there was, um, Again, there, I think there was only one other female that was in the department overall, but it was 
purely by chance getting that first role. I had actually talked to the hiring manager and this is gonna date me, but it was in the days of paper resumes. And he said, sure. he walked into a room to try to find somebody and there was tables and stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of resumes. And somehow my resume ended up in his hand that led to the phone call that ultimately led into the job. And that first job led into each of the subsequent roles. Um, but, you know, I eventually moved from the Central Coast to the uh, Seattle area mm -hmm. and um, turned down a job early on at Microsoft, actually, in about 1989, 1990, I think it was. Okay, sure. And, uh, and I turned it down, actually, because I had two young kids as well. Mm -hmm. And I could not rationalize how I was going to fit that work environment at that point in time with, with my home life. But I went to a, I went to another startup, uh, Attachmate. Oh sure, those yeah. Those Seattle later that know it was less than yep. 200 employees at that time. It was still private at the time. It was still private by the time I left, <laughs> and today too, I believe. <laughs> but um, the I, I would say the um, you know the being the only female often in the group was something that. Um, definitely an awareness of, but maybe not as much of awareness as there is for me today. Okay. So what do you think? So we, we've talked about going in startups and, you know, here we are working for and what fortune 100 company, right? So, you know, walk me through some of the differences you think you've run into between startups and being in such a large organization as we have. Yeah, I think the more barriers happen in not necessarily in the earlier of the career or mm -hmm. kind of being hands on code or in your work team, but really kind of breaking through that bit of that glass ceiling that everybody talks about and getting sure. into more senior roles or more breadth of, of um, leadership type roles. And um, for me personally, for me to make those leaps and changes, I had to change companies. And sure. I don't know, I can't say that it's because I'm female that that was the barrier. I, right. um, I, or if, you know, when you are growing up within an organization, there is perception about your capabilities and what you can do. Right. And if you want to go after that next big thing, there's the perception of, oh, this is what you are, you can't do that. Right. But when I left Attachmate and, and a startup I went to after, and I took my first VP role, when I walked on in the door on that first day, I was a VP. I was a VP. Right. And so the reaction of the organization is different. Oh, I interviewed for that role. I got that role. And I'm walking in that role. They didn't know that I had come from being a director in my last company. Right. And I think for me, that is the, the leaps. And, you know, until I got into the VP, senior VP, and if you look at LinkedIn, you see my titles have kind of bounced around. The jobs have been very much the same, maybe just scale. But for me to make those career leaps early on, where I was probably chasing title more and that mm -hmm. growth, sure, um, it really was, um, for me, I felt I had to make a company switch to be able to do it. I felt barrier within. Do you think that, that still applies for most people because I know of engineers who it's like if you look at their resume or you know 
coaches or whatever. And it's the every 18 to 24 months, there's a, there's a new gig, right? Do you think that that matters or that doesn't matter now? Um, you know, I think it depends a little bit on the culture of the company too. Sure. I think that, you know, some companies, uh, I spent 10 years at Microsoft and I would say you continually grew. You, there was always this pressure as part of it of this growth or this next thing. People didn't tend to stay in the same role for very long. And part of that is gaining, you know, more tools in the tool belt. Right. So when I made the switch out of kind of the engineering leader into an operational leader, I really found like I found my thing. And that was yes. the thing I wanted to keep doing. And right. So it was, it, you know, so it's a different kind of a pressure of, no, I'm going to be in this for the next 10 years. I'm going to be doing this thing. Um, so, so I think it varies depending upon culture of the company. I think it right. varies depending upon the individual. You know, I think a lot of people either jump for different reasons, you know, if, things that are going on at the team? Are they trying to get new skills? The grass is always greener on the other side. Sure. <laughs> you get through a honeymoon period. Um, I did have some quick moves in my career early because I was I actually was relocating and moving. And I would say that did not look good on my resume. Oh, interesting, so sure. Longer, longer stints within the same company. But one thing is, is I think when you're in a larger company like SAP or like Microsoft or any of them, you have the opportunity to make career moves or switches still under the same umbrella of the same benefit. Sure. Because there is breadth of types of roles. And, um, you know, a lot of companies support that type of a development of trying to match kind of skills and roles and what you want to do. And so I think there's opportunity internally to be able to do that. Well, I think it's interesting also that, you know, if you go back 20 years, companies didn't think of it that way. Companies thought of us, you know, as individual contributors as fungible. And it was just like, oh, well, you can't do this. Well, I can get somebody who can. Whereas nowadays, I think that a lot of organizations have realized in, you know, you get what you put into it. So if you put effort and, and understanding and opportunities to individuals that they are more likely to stay, that they're, uh, and you know what you got, right? Exactly. So as a company, you know what you have. And it's where you can grow them into being a better leader, to grow them into where, where their path wants to take them. Exactly. And I think, yeah, I think um, there's definitely opportunity for, you know, for that kind of growth. I think in smaller companies, you know, a lot of times, if you, especially if you're in the startup mode, you, because the scale is small, you tend to wear lots of hats. So you yes. are more generalist, you might be deep in a certain thing. And as you start to get into really large enterprise level systems and tons of you know, agile teams or tons of product areas that are different solutions, you tend to get more specialized. You need more specialized skills at different levels. Right. And um, I think that's where we get you know, somebody who is passionate about data science and they're going to, you know, that sure. is their career and their development of things. Um, 
So I think there's different opportunities to explore both sides, depending kind of the, the work environment or the, the company that you're in even. Yeah. So, you know, one thing you talked about earlier, and I want to make sure that we, we hit on it a little bit, is the career path by going sideways, mm-hmm. right? Because people, people tend to think of it as, look, you can only progress, and I'm going to use air quotes for this, you can only progress in your career when you're going up. And I know for myself that that isn't the case, but I'm curious, tell me a little bit for you how you think you can progress in a career by either going sideways or even taking a step back. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that there is a perception about having to go up or maybe maybe not going up is that there is a financial growth if you tied to going up in the organization. And a lot of times going up in the organization means management. Yes. So I, I do think that there is, especially in, a, you know, I, I'm going to be most familiar with our engineering disciplines. In our engineering disciplines, you have the ability to grow and have so much depth as an individual contributor with the same and sometimes more financial reward, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Being it. So I think keeping that conversation alive within the organization about the right skills and the skills needs and valuing that as an individual contributor can still equate to growth and leadership right. because you are, you are pro- providing a wealth of knowledge and leadership um, in the organization still as an individual contributor. Everything we do today is collaboration. Right. For me personally, and I think for for anybody, I think of really evaluating your careers. And I think maybe this for me really happened, I would say, in the middle of my career. I did progress up. I did go from starting as a software engineer, hands-on keyboard, to owning a full product, to suite to products, to that VP of product development, and to the CTO of the mid-sized company. And when I got there, I kind of had this, we were, it was startups, mid-sized companies, lots of acquisition. And I really specialized a lot in business integration and acquisition and bringing these engineering teams together and the strategy of what we're building on the coast. I, I decided I, it, it wasn't where I thought I wanted to be overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, one of the, the key levers to actually help me get me to move as we moved headquarters, I was the senior engineering leader at at this company and we moved headquarters to Chicago and I was one week in Chicago and one week home but I by then I had three children at home but my oldest was starting high school and it was just like I need to be home I have four more years and you know she's going to be gone I need to be home more and I needed to change my life and I was going to take a year off actually (laughs) and try to figure it out because I wasn't quite sure what that meant. Was it just doing what I was doing, but changing into a new role? But I ended up doing a sideways and actually down. Um, I ended up taking a individual contributor program management job at Microsoft. Okay. And, and it was a new team and somebody I had known and it was a heavy recruiting and, Early on, when I like within a few months, it was like this really wasn't the right thing for me. Sure. Um, but a lot of people kind of swarmed and said, "Go start, go talking to people." And I talked and talked and talked to a lot of people um, across Microsoft on different roles, and a couple of opportunities emerged. One of them, what they call their business managers, 
um, which we in, in dub COOs, really the operations leader for an engineering organization. And I ended up working for an executive vice president who had security products and ultimately the SQL server business. And um, made a switch in my role from uh, being that technical leader to being the operationals leader supporting a technical leader mm -hmm. operationally. <laughs> and when I joined Microsoft, I took a 40% pay cut from where I had been. Because <laughs> that's, and that's something left. you want to do. I had more like that. I was, at, I was in the same city with my family. Right. Um, you know, I had a, a, a little bit more balance. And I was lucky. The executive vice president I went to work for has been an incredible mentor and has continued to be my sponsor and mentor. Mm -hmm you know, 15 years later for almost every other job that I've taken in helping promote me uh, mm -hmm. personally, but also um, a clear vision of what was needed in that type of a role. And when I started that role and that first year of kind of learning that role, it was like I found, I found the magic for me because I had right. my engineering background. I had the understanding of what it meant to be that individual developer, you know, at the keyboard, but I was really starting to think a lot about all of the other components. So to me, it's a different architectural problem. You've got your budget to deal with, you've got your people and your resources, your most valuable thing and trying to help actually deliver great products for your customers. You know, you've got your roadmaps to do. And so it was like, how do you pull all of these pieces together to be able to effectively run an organization of 10,000 engineers globally. Right. Um, and, and that really launched my career into the operational side. Uh, so, and eventually I, you know, made my way back up <laughs> the financial ladder, which I'm happy about. But, but, it's, but in the long run, I would say it, it, it's, it was like it served me so much better. Sure. Uh, I'm a much better operational leader than I was the technology leader. I feel like that about myself. And so I feel like I'm bringing my best self every day, being able so, to find that role. So do you think, and I, I know you do a lot of mentoring as it is, do you mm -hmm. think that part of that path for anyone is to be able to find that person who can be that mentor, who can kick you when you need it, who can provide air cover when you need it, you know, all of the things that mentorship allows for. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's not even a formal mentorship as it wasn't, sure. you know, um, necessarily for me and that particular person. Yeah. I would, I mean, I would say two things is there's always the um, opportunity of, of, trying new things. Like I would tell anybody, take risks. If somebody, if somebody says, you know, God, I've got this role and what's the worst thing? You're going to fail. Maybe that's okay. Right. It's okay. You've learned something really. Right. Excuse me. Maybe you've learned what you don't want to do <clears throat> or what you're not as good at. Um, and, uh, but the other thing is, is you might really live you know, something might open up for you, which you hadn't even really imagined for yourself that you can kind of then pursue and grow into. And that's, that's how it was for me personally. 
Um, and then I also say, talk to a lot of people in your network. And for me, that was actually something really difficult. I tend to be a little bit more introverted and have a harder time picking up the phone. And people that know me, even in work, say, oh, it can't be. I'm, when I'm in my comfortable place, it's, it's a little bit easier. But, but again, kind of like, uh, you know, what is the worst person? Somebody will say, no, I don't want to spend a half an hour telling you about what I do. Then you're no, you're no further off than if you didn't call them and ask at all. Right. And so it doesn't hurt to, to ask. Just ask questions and, and be open in, in that and asking questions and I, you know that's one thing I think that things like fellowships are great for it gives, oh, you, sure. gives, gives you a chance to to try something different or new and, and see if there's opportunity there and you know from a company perspective I think the best thing is when you actually do that you match the skills and the desires and the passion and the enjoyment of work to the work that needs to get done on behalf of the company and you put right. those two things together, and that's the magic right? uh, of having the people in the right place and, and you know, building great software in our case. And this is a perfect opportunity for me to put in a plug for those who haven't heard the introverts and extroverts episodes. For those of you who are internal and watching the video, I'm going to put the link here. And <laughs> uh, for the audio version, this is a note to myself to put in the episode number. So the episodes are? Episode 61 through 63. Okay, so now that, <laughs> now, that, now that I've done the plug for other episodes, thank you so much for giving me that opportunity. You're so welcome. Do you, like, what, I'm gonna tip back to one of the questions that we used in the journey series. It's the, you know, cause we've talked about mistakes and what do you think is the, what do you think you've had to, learn or unlearn as part of your career? I always like the uns more than the learns because the learns are like, yeah, okay, cool. But what's, give me an un, you know, is there an unlearn yeah. that you had? I've had to, um, I would say in the growth of my career is maybe um, I had to learn, maybe it's an unlearning, I don't know. Sure. Sides of the same coin, uh, to be okay and being in the back seat and right. delegating, and and I would say, um, you know, a lot of the things that I've learned along the way, or the things that I apply, or drive in conversations or projects that we're doing, are is not necessarily because the process works or this methodology works. I'm pretty much wired to be pretty results oriented. And if sure. something has worked for me in the past to say, boy, if we follow this, these steps will be successful. And right. to take that into every new situation, you know, it's like, oh, I've got that tool. I'm gonna reach into my tool thing and we're gonna apply it here. Right. And, and I think the, the learning part of it is to maybe have a little bit more uh, awareness of uh, that tool doesn't fit in all situations, even though it might look like that from the outside. Right. And to be able to step back and um, and delegate and listen, uh, listen more, uh, is probably been some of the things that 
that you know I had to be hit on the head a few times, and 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 I and I do like, like even in some of our team meetings I'll say okay I'm gonna wallow now you know I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna think out loud because because um, I like the I like the problem solving in the debate and I still like to oh sure it. yeah so, well I I appreciate so. the uh, understanding from leaders that it it's hard to not want to drive right because you know leaders lead and a lot of leaders think that it's like if you're in the car i got to drive i got to navigate and i got to be in the back seat right and so it's understanding when do i drive when do i navigate and when do i sit in the back and just enjoy the ride yeah you know a lot of people will say, oh, well, what do I need to know? Like, what's your style or what do I need to know about you? Sure. And I actually use the car analogy a lot. It's like, you know, I am to the point where I'm really comfortable being in the back seat as long as I'm comfortable that somebody's driving. Yeah. Right. Somebody's you, driving. you have to know someone's driving. Somebody's driving. They're communicating where it's going. Even if, if you're off path, that's okay. Like, right. if you know you're off path and you say you're off path, but you got a plan to get back on the right road, great. But if the car seems to just be going all over, my tendency is to reach over the back seat of the steering wheel. <laughs> and I'm gonna eh, get you right back on the road. <laughs> I, I know I know you think this path is gonna work, but really we need to go over here. Can we go over here? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I wanna make sure I wanna be mindful of your time because hi, you know, executive, you know. I don't necessarily have the time constraints you do. So I want to make sure, is there anything else you wanted to cover as part of your journey that we haven't discussed so far? Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> we might be here for an hour. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, anything else? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I, it's funny because um, I'm, I'm often asked like, what's the end game? You know, sure. what's retirement? maybe okay. of, of the career or the, or the journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I would just say I, in, in my own journey, I personally really enjoy the work yeah. and, you know, and it's, it's hard to even think about the end game of, of that. And it's like, okay, if I'm not doing this, what's next? So there's probably a little bit of planning around, <laughs> around those other parts of it. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I don't think there's anything. Well, see, it's the, if you don't enjoy it, why do you do it? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. okay. Yeah. I mean, it's all about problem solving, right? Big problem. Oh, There's truth, big problems. That. That's just about big problems. There's always going to be big problems. So how do we awesome. make those steps? <laughs> awesome. Well, that's perfect. That's a perfect place to end for this iteration. Kathleen, thank you again for the time. I'm just going to tell everybody there's going to be another episode coming with Kathleen. We just don't know when it's going to be yet. And I think, uh, I think hitting on the diversity and inclusion issue that we touched on a little bit, I think that's a yep. great episode for us to talk about. So that's the end of this iteration. I'm Brent. I'm Kathleen. And until the next iteration, you can give us a five-star rating at your podcast provider. Shoot us an email at info at fasterthanastandup.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at Faster Standup. Thanks for listening. And that was Faster Than a Standup. The opinions on this podcast are solely those of the participants and not of their employers.